All right. Hey, just a couple things uh, before we dig in. Um, one is that May 10th is the last mine before summer break. But Now, here's the thing I need to sell. May 10th, we're meeting. There is the mine on May 10th, but that's the last one uh, before summer break. Okay? So we're meeting on May 10th. Okay, all right. All right. Um, some people have been asking uh, how we did on Sunday. Uh, as far as um, uh, kids, sponsoring kids through Harvest India, and uh, very, very cool guys. I mean, honestly, uh, you guys just shocked uh, your staff to death. Uh, we, we really did. We sat down ahead of time and said, okay, what would be like a pretty serious goal to get to? And uh, we came up with 2,500. We thought that's, that would be pretty uh, serious to do that. Uh, you guys told us that we had little faith or something. I don't know. Um, we ended up over 5,000 kids sponsored. Yeah, so just crazy. Matter of fact, I, and I, I, I shouldn't tell this, but I had one of my staff in one of the meetings go, man, I bet we could get 4,000. And I went back to him after I like rebuked him. I was like, dude, if we don't get to 4,000 now, everyone's going to be depressed. Why did you say that? So he came to me afterwards and goes, you little faith guy. And I'm like, all right, all right. But man, I mean, just incredible guys. And here's the part that is just, totally cool about uh, what we did. I mean, I, I love the fact that we're putting sandals on these kids' feet, and I love the fact that we're putting clothes on their backs. And we're talking about kids that, man, probably what they wear may be the only thing they own. And so, it's, you know, some of these kids, first time in their life, they're going to have another something to wear. And, uh, and then we're going to be able to feed them a couple times, too, within that $15. So, super cool. But the part I really love is, is that Harvest India is all about sharing the story of Jesus. So you and I didn't just buy some kids some clothes and some sandals and feed them. Uh, Harvest India, because of who they are and because of how they operate, you and I know those kids are going to get a chance to hear about Jesus while that distribution is going on. And so it's just a totally cool moment. Uh, and, and a kid accepts Jesus Christ, then their world really is changed for forever at that point. So super proud that we did that together. And... Um, just super cool. You guys were great about inviting people to come to church. You egged your friends and did all that. We had we had almost, not quite, but almost 10,000 people here on Easter. And uh, I don't know what services you were in, but um, uh, we, were, we were asking people to raise their hands if they had made a decision for Christ. I don't think we had a service that less than 150 people raised their hands. So, yeah, it was really cool all day long. You and I get to pray and say, okay, God, let that sink in and be real and, you know, have them start living like they made a decision on Sunday. Um, but man, super hopeful that they did, that we were clear and they understood what we were asking. So it was, it was just a really good weekend all the way around. And thank you guys. Here's the other part that I was a little surprised but just thrilled at is that uh, we had a really, really good offering on Sunday. And I uh, go, uh, but... The reason I'm saying that is because almost always on holidays, we give horrible offerings. And then we knew we were doing the pledges to the kids. And so we were all braced and said, boy, this could, this could be a really, really... But it just speaks to the generosity of your hearts because we gave over and above in order to do that for the kids. I just think that was cool uh, on our parts to do that. So thank you guys. Thanks for being honoring. And man, just a great moment to celebrate what God did with us on Easter Sunday. Very, very, very cool. Hey, uh, we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians. 
Um, we're not going to probably make it to the end. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm pretty darn calm. We're going to get close. I think we're going to maybe be able to get through chapter 14. There's actually 16 chapters, so we're going we're to be uh, real close in the end. But here's what we are going to do is that the next couple chapters are probably some of the most controversial uh, chapters, not just in 1 Corinthians, but in all of the Bible, uh, because the next few chapters are going to begin to tackle this issue of spiritual gifts. And uh, we're going to do that together, too, over the next couple of weeks. We're going to finish, and you can be mad at me all summer. So, um, But here's the deal. We're going to pick away at this. We're going to go at it. We're going to try and tackle it biblically. And here's, here's what I know. I know that as we do this, you're going to hear me say some things. You're going to look at some scriptures with me, and you're going to go, wait a minute. That's not what I've always heard. That's not what I've been told. That, that's different than what I believe I've experienced in my life. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. But here's what I'm going to challenge us to do as we go through. And we're not going to settle this issue. You get that right, guys. Church has argued this for a long time. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do is that if you get challenged, if in the process of the conversation we're going to have over the next couple of weeks, you go, wow, whoa, 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 how, where, when, why, what? That's okay. Go to Scripture and let's sit down together. I'll sit down with you before. I'll sit down with you after. Maybe even... Deering, and you can raise your hand, but let's go with Scripture. Let's go with what what does the Word of God say? What does Scripture say on this topic? Because at the end of the day, you and I always have to line up our beliefs with Scripture. Okay, so I'm just going to you know say, hey, it's okay. You don't have to agree with me. You'd be right if you did, but no, I'm teasing. All right, but um, but my challenge to you is go to Scripture. Okay? And as you come to discuss it, as you come to go, I, I don't want to know what Aunt Matilda said. Okay? Let's, what did Scripture say? And then let's, let's have a great discussion over Scripture uh, on the topic. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, we'll ask God to honor as we dig in. We've got our microphone runners here. Uh, microphone runners are going to run their legs off. Try to wait till they get to you before you say it because we are taping it. And uh, people on the other end are going, what? So if, if you wait till the mic gets there, then we get it recorded. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. We'll dig in uh, to 1 Corinthians. Dear Assembly Father, thank you. Thank you for these that have come out to study your word. God, I just ask, would, would you again, would you help us to be true to Scripture? Would you help us to be honest in our interpretation and not impose the ideas of man, but instead come with open hearts, open minds, and say, look, I just want to know what the Bible says and not necessarily what I've always been taught or told, I want to know Scripture for myself. God, would you guide us? Would you lead us uh, through this time? Thank you so much for Sunday and for what you did in this place and for lives that were changed. And we just ask God that literally hundreds upon hundreds of people would be absolutely serious in the decision that they made for you on Sunday and would follow through. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 which is the spiritual gifts chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to do our best to get through most of chapter 12 um, tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1 together. Uh, Here's what it says. Now about spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed 
And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he, what's he saying there? Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Deathly silence. Um, I think what it says is uh, once you're baptized and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you proclaim Jesus as Lord. Um, okay. Before that, you know, you're still dead. Uh, your eyes are still closed and you don't know Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's, let's go from that direction because maybe that will help us solve it. What, what, what does it mean if I say Jesus is Lord? What it, what, in other words, if someone says Jesus is Lord, what is that statement supposed to mean anyways? That you're a Christian, a Christ follower. Okay, I'm a Christ follower. All right, and if Jesus is Lord, how often would I obey? Always. Well, 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 wait a minute. What, what, if, what if Jesus is picking on my favorite sin? How often would I obey if Jesus is Lord? Always. Okay. And, 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 and what about, what if he said something that I totally didn't understand and I looked at it and I said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So like when he stands in front of the disciples and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And I go, I, wow, I don't even know if I understand that. But in the midst of my not understanding, okay, in the midst of my saying, I'm not sure exactly what you meant, but I'm going to choose to what? I'm going to choose to follow. I'm going to choose to believe because Jesus is Lord. Okay? We had someone else back here. Okay? Um, It's basically like saying there's no other God, so you would have to follow him exclusively. Okay. So Jesus is Lord also excludes other gods. Jesus is Lord is he is number one and there's no such thing as number two because Jesus is Lord. That makes sense? There is no rival. There is no mistress. Jesus is Lord. Okay? We had another hand going up. Okay? It also implies that he's alive since it says is. Okay, so I'll go with you on alive. To me, when I say Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of my life, I've given him total control and I'm trying the best of my ability every day to obey him in everything I do in word and deed, and draw closer to him. Okay. And I, I have always explained it like, if you get into a canoe, I've given, I've given him ownership of both oars. Okay. And I'm yielding my life to him. Okay. Which means, what, what, do, you do, what do you do in moments when you disagree with him? Anybody ever disagreed with Jesus? I, I disagree with Jesus all the time. Okay. So what do you do in moments when you disagree? You obey. Because he is Lord. Well, basically, in, um, chap- in verse 3, it talks about how if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't curse Christ. Um, but you wouldn't know the Lord unless the Holy Spirit led you to believe that. So, okay. in other words, it's from God. Okay. All right. So, let's, all right, with that understanding of Lord, so we get it, right? He, he is number one. He is always right. I always obey even when I don't understand. That's what it means to say, you are Lord. Okay? So, in this passage, it says, ready? Let's go back again. Now, about the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were led astray and influenced to worship mute idols. Right? 
Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, right? And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So let's go backwards on this. If, if by the Spirit I say that Jesus is Lord, He's always right, I always obey, I follow even when I don't understand, because He is Lord of my life. I've given Him the oars to my canoe. Okay, What would it mean then to say Jesus isn't Lord? What does it mean to say Jesus isn't Lord then? That you've denied him after you have knowledge of him. Okay. So it might be that I deny him. I just say, hey, Jesus isn't who he said he was, and he wasn't the son of God, and I flat out deny him. Do I have to deny him in order for him not to be Lord? Um, no, I, I would say no. You could, uh, you could know he's there. You could acknowledge him and still let the world uh, be your Lord. Hmm. And we do that when we don't obey. And we do that when we don't obey. Remember what we said. Jesus is Lord means when I don't like his answer, I still obey. So what would it mean to not make Jesus Lord? It means when I don't like the answer, I opt out for my own opinion. At that moment, Jesus isn't Lord, right? Right? It means in that moment when I look at Scripture and I say, boy, I, that, that's just... I, wow, I don't, I, that scripture doesn't work for me. I think it's culturally irrelevant. I, man, I, oof. I, I don't think I'm going to listen to that one. Well, then who's Lord in that moment? Who's deciding what applies and what doesn't apply? I am. I am. And am I not, think about this a second. Am I not in that moment saying by my actions that Jesus is something less than Lord. I mean, he's mostly smart, but he apparently isn't all the way smart. He's mostly right, but he apparently isn't always right. Because apparently your life is so sophisticated and what's going on in the circumstances are something that he apparently did not consider and you have a better grasp on what to do next. And am I not in that moment saying, well, Jesus, no, you will not be Lord of this situation. You will not be Lord of this circumstance. You will not be Lord of this event in my life because I, I, I just don't know that you have the capacity to make a good decision for me right now. And who do I make Lord in that moment? Me. Me. Okay. Could it be because... We're not getting our way or we don't have enough faith that we will get what we think that we want. Could be. And the answer at the end of the day is you may not get what you want. If you let Jesus be Lord, there is a chance you may not get what, you know, what, whatever you've put on your list and said, you know, this is, this is the way my life is supposed to turn out and this is what's supposed to happen. If you make Jesus Lord, there's a pretty good chance that whatever's on that list may not happen because part of making Jesus as Lord is giving him the list and saying, God, this isn't about my list. This is about your list because you're Lord. Lord. Lord means boss. Lord means king. 
Lord, Lord means president of my life. So you're right when you say, hey, if, 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 I, if I let God be Lord, then maybe I won't. You might not. Because that's what, Lord is total surrender. Therefore, anything less than total surrender means he's not Lord. How many of you guys have heard the saying, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Okay, so now back to the passage. Here's what he's just saying. Look, uh, nobody, nobody can say and mean it. That's the operative part of it. Mean it. Jesus is Lord. In other words, I am ready to live a life of total surrender, total obedience. Whatever he says, I will do or die trying. No one can say that unless the Spirit's been doing something in their life. That's what the passage is saying. But he also says, every time you and I deny his lordship... Okay? And in a sense, that's the moment in which it says, and everyone who says Jesus is cursed. What do you think it means by that when it says Jesus is cursed? You think it's, we're using his name as a swear word? Or is it possible, you ready? Is it possible that it's every single moment in our lives that we say, Jesus, you're not good enough to lead me right now. You're not strong enough to save me right now. You're not wise enough to understand me right now. And don't I, in every one of those moments, diminish? Maybe Scripture would use the word curse. Who Jesus really is. All right, so here we go. Verse 3. Verse 4. Therefore, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, so he's getting ready to talk about spiritual gifts. Who are spiritual gifts for? What does it just say? The common good. So here's what you've got to get. Spiritual gifts are never given for your singular edification, and they are never, 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 never given for your glory. Okay? Never. And the minute you find somebody who is using their spiritual gift for their own edification or for their own glory, they are abusing that gift. There's only one person who's supposed to get glory from our spiritual gifts. God, okay? Never us. This is never about our glory. It's always about His glory, and it's about the edification of the body. Okay? All right. To one who's been given the Spirit... Let's see. Verse 8. To the one there is given through the Spirit the message of... Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write down the types of spiritual gifts. Okay? So, now to one there is given the Spirit... For the common good, there is one given the Spirit, the message of, first gift, wisdom. What is wisdom? Okay. What is wisdom? The ability to discern right from wrong. Uh, Sort of, maybe. Kind of. What's wisdom? Acting on the knowledge that you have to discern between the difference between right and wrong. 
Oh, yeah. Let's try again. Wise advice. Wise advice. Uh, wisdom is understanding. Knowledge is uh, um, uh, um, the walking that out. Okay. There's wisdom right, so let, and understanding. Let, let's see if we can get this. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Because let's just be honest, guys. Have, have you ever met someone who was like brilliant, who didn't have the wisdom to tie their own shoes, didn't have the wisdom to make any good decisions in life? But man, I mean, they they were like genius in knowledge. I mean, man, they could do calculus backwards. What is wisdom? Would that be Ex- spiritual knowledge? Huh? Spiritual knowledge. Potentially, and I think I think Scripture would come back and say all true wisdom has a spiritual insight to it. Um, Experience. All right, all right, we're going to be here all night. Okay, so let's just call it. Okay, let's just call it remarkable insight. Okay, in other words, there's a capacity to see into a situation and understand that situation at a remarkable level. Understand why people are behaving the way they are. Understand the moving pieces within the discussion. It is wisdom. Okay? Sometimes that comes with experience. Sometimes that comes with just a remarkable amount of discernment. But it's insight. It's the ability to see life for what it is with unbelievable accuracy. It's wisdom. Okay, all right. I can give you examples. We're going to be, we'll be, like I said, we'll be here on. All right. So next one. Let's keep going through here. <clears throat> to another is given the gift of knowledge. Okay, we're going to define knowledge as info. In other words, this person who has the gift of knowledge has information that they have absolutely no business having. They have not studied it. They have not been exposed to it. They don't have an internet feed, but somehow they know this. Okay. It's information. They have no business knowing it's the gift of knowledge. Okay. By means of the same spirit to another faith. Why would this be different than normal faith? It's almost like an innate piece that everything will turn out right. Even if you have everything showing you that it's not like you can't be a worrier and have the gift of faith. I don't mm. think. I don't know. Hmm. And you know, every once in a while that you run into one of these people that has apparently the gift of faith, and aren't they irritating? <laughs> Just, any normal person would worry a little bit about that, but okay. All right. Uh, by faith and by the same spirit, another one has the gift of healing. What would a gift of healing? What does that mean? It simply means you're able to heal people. Gift of healing. Uh, Peter and John are walking along, and remember the beggar says to him, hey, give me some money. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but such as I have, give I to you. And he heals the man. Okay? Gift of healing. Uh, And by that one same spirit to another, miraculous powers. What would that be? Water into wine. Uh, fig trees that shrivel up when you curse them. Okay, miraculous powers. And to another prophecy. Okay, and prophecy probably in this context is the idea of foretelling. Okay, 
telling something before it happens and doing so accurately. Okay, so the gift of prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. Okay, and this simply is the ability to see what is working supernaturally behind events. Okay, Scripture says you and I do not battle against flesh and blood, but instead against principalities and powers. And the ability to recognize when it really is a spiritual warfare and when it's not a spiritual warfare. Because sometimes what's happening in your life is just bad decisions. Do we have a question? Yep, we're running. Okay. I have a question about the miraculous powers. Okay. Um, you often see those uh, pastors or whoever are on, up on the stage and then they hit the guy on the forehead and they're healed. Is that what they're talking about or are they talking about like angels or just people? I'm a little confused. She wants to know, does that really exist in common world today? I mean, well, that's what we're going to figure out. That's what we're going to talk about together. Okay. Is the, is, is some, are all of the gifts that are mentioned in scriptures normal for today? We're going to ask that question over the next couple of weeks. Okay. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to say anything about the guys on TV who are hitting people in the forehead and doing that because my mother taught me not to hit people. But, um, um, in the instance in which miraculous powers would be, and I think that one would probably come um, under healing, right? So what they usually are saying in that moment is that I'm healing uh, somebody. Um, speaking in different tongues. Tongues in the Bible has uh, a couple different uh, variations. One is there are moments in which someone was speaking and people heard in their own language. And there also is an occurrence in the Bible in which they uttered things that people did not understand, and it required an interpreter. Okay? And still another, uh, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. Okay? List of spiritual gifts. Now... Grab your Bibles and go with me. Okay, we're going to do a lot of homework on this because we're going to... Remember we said we're going to use the Bible as our reference for this conversation. And go with me now over to the book of Romans chapter 12. You guys are going to get Bible College 101 right here. Maybe 201. So Romans chapter 12, because here's the thing that's going to happen. Romans chapter 12 is going to give us an all, almost completely different list of spiritual gifts. Isn't that interesting? Romans chapter 12 is going to list spiritual gifts, and yet the list is going to be almost word-for-word different than the one that we just had. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4, okay, here's what it says. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And then he begins to list the gifts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you guys call them out. So what's the first gift? Prophecy. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. That is the, if I remember right, that is the only gift in this list that is held in common with the other list. I'm going to suggest before we're done tonight that this prophecy is different than the other prophecy. Same word, different meaning. Okay? All right, what's the next gift? Serving. Okay, what's the gift of service? Anybody in here got the gift of service? 
Okay, I've got like trash bags we need to carry out after this is over. People that get the service are going, all right, I'm there. The rest of us are going, what? Why would you ask me to carry a trash bag? Okay. Hey, gift of, gift of service is simply this. People who have the gift of service absolutely love, love to help. And matter of fact, most often people have the gift of service hate to be put up front or made a big deal of if you have the gift of service. Okay. How many people in here think maybe I have, you have the gift of service? Okay, we said there are we. Here's the other thing that's interesting about the gift of service, just in case you're around people with gifts of service. They hate to be made a big deal of, but they love for you to come to them quietly and tell them thank you. That goes a million miles with someone with the gift of service. Don't do it in front of everybody. That'll freak me out. But if you would come to me quietly and tell me thank you from your heart, that, that'll keep me going another year. Okay, gift of service. All right, what's the next gift? All right, whoa, whoa, let's go back. Remember I told you I thought the gift of prophecy was a soul? I'll, I'll, re, I'll give this one. In the first lift, I, list, I believe the gift of prophecy really is that forth telling. It's what you and I traditionally call a prophet. But here's what you need to know. The vast majority of times in Scripture when a prophet was quote-unquote prophesying, almost, almost always he wasn't telling something new. Almost always he was preaching. He was taking what had already been said and delivering it. So, within the gift of prophecy, I think there's two sides to the coin. One is prophesying, telling something absolutely new. And when the prophet does that, what do you do when the prophet prophesies? What do you do if, he, if, if he's a prophet and he is speaking brand new words from God that have never been spoken before? And if he's a prophet, how accurate is he? 100%. We're going to talk about this for a couple of minutes on Sunday. But um, the requirement in the book of Deuteronomy is if you're a prophet of God, everything you say must come true. If it doesn't, if one little thing you say doesn't come true, Scripture says you're not from God and you're to take them outside the city and do what to them? Stone them. Okay? Scripture says then he's not from God. So if a prophet is prophesying and speaking from God and he is speaking the word of God with 100% accuracy, what do you need to do with those words? What? Write them down. Write them down. You just, you just, that's Bible. If, if God is speaking with 100% accuracy and delivering new information, you better write it down. Right? I mean, that's the word of God. If a prophet is speaking the word of God with 100%, you better write it down. I'm going to suggest that that form of the gift is incredibly rare. I, I think I can go as far tonight to say to you with all sorts of confidence, that gift no longer exists. That, that you and I have, from beginning to end, everything that God wanted to deliver to you and me. And, and, if, and, if you, and here's what I'm just going to say. If you're a person who believes the gift of prophesying is still available, then you need to have some blank pages in the back of your Bible. Because if God is uttering inerrant truth through a human being, it's called Scripture. And someone better be documenting it, and we better be adding it to our Bibles. Okay, hand is up. Pastor Lynn, I had this same conversation with... uh, I had a group of uh, Mormons that came to me, and they Mm -hmm. said that, that Josh or Josh... Uh, Joseph and uh, was a prophet, and there was prophets. Of Joseph and his friend Brigham. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That they're all prophets of New Day, and I just told them it's not the you, word of God, and it's not. You know. You know what? Here's what's up. really. Here's what's really, really easy in that part of the conversation. Because Scripture requires that a prophet speak with 100% accuracy, ask them why they're on the 13th revision of the Book of Mormon. Ask them why you can point to literally hundreds of contradictions within the Book of Mormon. Ask them how all of a sudden black people who were cursed are now okay. And if a prophet makes how many mistakes? One. Scripture says he is not of... God, and you take him outside the city and you do what with him? Stone him. The answer at the end of the day is, it's an easy conversation. It's an e. you know, God just made it easy. This is not Nostradamus and you get to guess a lot and then some of it comes true. God said, if I'm speaking, it will all come true. Every jot, every tittle. Okay, so question way in the back. Pastor Lynn? Yep. Um, how does... The gift of prophecy fit with what I've known from Scripture to say that there is no altering Scripture at this point. Okay, so here's how I think it fits. I think when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, it simply says this. uh, Anybody who adds to or takes away from this prophecy is to be cursed. I think when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, God is signing off. On the gift of prophesying, of giving and delivering new information to us. I think the answer is simply this. The Bible is complete. So that form of the gift, this idea of uttering new utterances from God, I don't believe is valid for today. Okay? Because if it is, I mean, just think about it, guys. Here, here's the thing. If, if, if you believe that someone can prophesy today, prophecy was always held to a 100% accurate standard. Because it was God's word, which means you and I better be writing it down. And here's the irony. Even the groups that teach that prophesying is... I don't know any of them that write it down. How dare you not write down God's word? If it's God speaking through this person inerrantly, you better write it down. And that, that's what they did with all the rest of the Bible. That's what the Bible is. God speaking inerrantly through his prophets then I'm going to suggest that that gift is no longer functional today. It is not available for the church today. It was until Scripture was complete. It is no longer. Once you finish the Bible, you don't need that gift anymore. It's not practiced anymore. Now here, okay, so remember we just went to the second list. Remember this? And in the second list, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Weebies. All right, so I ran out of batteries. Uh, remember in the second list, it listed this gift of prophecy because there's another form of the gift, which is actually the more common form, which instead of foretelling or foretelling the future, it is forthtelling. It is telling what has already been written. Okay. It's preaching. You and I would call it preaching today. Okay. It's delivering what has already been written. And you just need to know over and over and over and over and over again, when Jonah, Jonah was a what? Jonah was a prophet. How many prophecies did he do? But he went and preached in the town of Nineveh. So men who delivered the word of God were called prophets, even if they did not foretell anything. It's forth-telling the truth. 
Okay? That version of the gift, I would argue, is alive and well today. Okay? Um, let me give you a couple distinguishing parts of prophets. Prophets are people who feel unbelievably compelled to tell people the truth, even when it's none of their business. Uh, prophets watch on TV, and when something is wrong on TV, you will hear a prophet, even if you're in the other room, say, That's wrong. Someone should write them a letter. Prophets feel deeply responsible for other people's sin. Isn't that interesting? Prophets feel deeply responsible for others. They feel like, if I just would have told them, if somebody would have knocked them upside the head, they wouldn't have done that. And they feel deeply responsible for other people's sin. Was that a question or just wiping your brow? Okay. Yeah. So what's the difference between a prophet and a pastor now? Um, I'm going to suggest that pastor is much more the role of a shepherd. Uh, pastors tend to have much more caregiving type gifts, not necessarily prophetic, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong gifts. Okay, and you, you guys have met a lot of pastors who are gracious, gracious, gracious people and have a hard time getting around to turn or burn, right? Prophets don't have any problem with turn and burn. It's just turn or burn, man. That's a prophet. That's what prophets do. How, how many in the room say, I think maybe I got a little bit of profit in me? Oh, you don't even want to admit it. Come on. All right. I'm, I got profit in me, guys. I mean, I just do. I, I can't even tell you how often I have to bite my tongue and... You know, not yell and scream, but uh, it's what a prophet is. A prophet feels unbelievably compelled to tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. That's just just what a prophet does. Okay, hopefully prophets temper a little bit in their old age and learn that telling truth at the right time is more effective than always blurting the truth. Okay, Um, and that comes hopefully with a little bit of age. All right, so next one on the list. Pastor Lynn. Yes. Uh, in the Old Testament, when it talks of your sons and daughters will have visions and dreams, is that a type of prophecy? Um, well, it was a prophecy about being about prophesying. It's probably Joel chapter 2. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, Joel chapter 2. And actually, it's an interesting thing that you say that. Joel chapter 2, when it talks about your young men will dream dreams, um, is actually a foretelling of the coming of what? Anyone know? Messiah. He says, when this begins to happen, you know Messiah is in town because the Spirit of God will be there. It's interesting, and we won't go there yet, but um, just to give you a, a sneak glimpse, when, when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and remember they say to him, hey, and he's doing what? He's speaking in, anyone remember? Day of Pentecost, here's Peter preaching his sermon in... Speaking in tongues. He's speaking in tongues. And remember that the men around him said, you guys are drunk with wine. And Peter says, no, 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 we're not drunk as you suppose, but instead this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. Your young men will dream dreams. And your young people will prophesy. Here's the interesting thing. Remember when Peter got done with that sermon? How many people repented? Thousands. Thousands. And we're going to get there as to why that has such a huge impact on the crowd when Peter quoted Joel chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And it has everything to do with this whole discussion about spiritual gifts. Okay? But on that day, remember, he was speaking in tongues. Okay? All right. So we're going to keep going. We got you guys scared now, I can tell. Just the look in your eyes. All right. So we got prophecy. We got teaching. What's the next one on the list? 
Huh? You skipped one. Teaching. Right? Prophecy, faith, right? Portion of faith, serving, teaching. Okay? So teaching. What is teaching? Teaching. Okay, good. That was good. You guys, wow. We are getting better at this together. Uh, If it is encouraging. What's encouraging? Huh? Edifying. Have you ever met one of those people that just knows the right thing to say at the right moment? And your, your world can be poop and they come in the, and they, and you're like, wow, my poop smells better than most poop. I think I'm okay. I think I'm all right. You know, someone who doesn't have to get some encouragement comes and goes, wow, your life really is poopy. But someone with the gift of, how many people in here say, I think I might have the gift of encouragement. Okay. Got a couple people. How many people go, I, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts at all. You must well just stop it. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So the next one, what's after uh, encouragement? Generosity. Hey, did you know that generosity is a spiritual gift? Isn't that amazing? Uh, here's the interesting thing about generosity. People with the gift of generosity usually are not frivolous with their money. Matter of fact, very often people with the gift of generosity are the best savers you know. Because here's how people with generosity often think, not always, but often think, I want to leverage my money. I want to leverage every dollar to its optimum value. So I'm going to be very, very careful with my money in order that I can give it to the most worthy needs and the most effective places to give it. Okay? So, and then when they find that place, when they find something they believe in, when it makes sense to them, then they give generously, give it a level that just... The rest of us go, oh my goodness, wow, I, can you really even afford to give that much? Well, yeah, because it makes sense to them, and they once they find that, they are really, really, really generous uh, as they give. Anybody in here say, I think maybe I've got the gift of generosity? Okay, none of us, all right, Hi. <laughs> no wonder, okay. <laughs> We're going to start praying for the gift of generosity. All right. Um, Okay, what's the next one? Leadership. Okay, people with the gift of leadership are people who literally walk. Matter of fact, here's what a leader almost always does. They walk into a room, and here's the first thing they ask. Who's the leader? Why isn't it me? Okay. If if you find yourself doing that, you may have the gift of leadership. Uh, People with the gift of leadership can often be accused of being critical. Because very often people with the gift of leadership see what's broken before anybody else perceives it. And, and it drives them batty and they want to get it fixed. They want to solve that problem. And the interesting thing is nobody else in the room seems to even notice that it's broken. Uh, people with the gift of leadership uh, have sometimes a hard time um, in rooms that are highly social. Because they want to get, why are we wasting all this time talking? We could do something. Okay. Uh, not always, but a lot of times, because leadership leaders want to move. They want to they be able to measure something that's getting done. Anybody in the room says, I think I've got the gift of leadership, maybe. Okay. All right. Good deal. All right. And what's next? Huh? Mercy. Okay. The gift of mercy. People with the gift of mercy are absolutely attracted to people who are hurting. 
They, they would have never been in the story of the Good Samaritan. They are the Good Samaritan. They, the idea that someone could walk by someone who is hurting, that you would not pause and help. Sometimes people with the gift of mercy have a lot of uh, pets uh, because they have picked them up off the road. Uh, if they don't have a lot of pets, they have a lot of their children's friends living with them at different times. Because, you know, I know, I know your parents kicked you out, and I know you probably deserved it, but I'm going to have mercy on you. Uh, people with the gift of mercy always have a project. They always have somebody uh, that they're working with and trying to help. Um, anybody in here think you got the gift of mercy? Okay. So here's the interesting thing, and we're going to get into it in a few minutes. Did you realize that a lot of these gifts irritate each other? A lot of these gifts don't like each other. For instance, people with the gift of mercy despise people with the gift of prophecy. Because they say, why did you say that so mean? You just hurt their feelings. You could have, you could have waited and said that a lot nicer. And the person with the gift of prophecy says, why are you helping them? They, they made their own stupid choices. They deserve it. They're never going to learn their lessons if you keep bailing them out. Okay? Anybody with the gift of mercy married to someone with the gift of prophecy? Oh, you're in trouble. You are so in trouble. Now, you want to know here what the interesting thing is? I'll, here's, here's the interesting thing about it. And you'll, you'll notice it as we talk about it. Although they're in, in, matter of fact, one of the reasons we're going to get in the conversation where Paul says, well, well, wait a minute, you, can, you can't say I don't need this gift or, you know, you're a useless gift because the reality is not true. It, it, it's never true in the body of Christ. And matter of fact, the ones that irritate you the most may be the ones you need in your life the most. Remember I told you I think I have the gift of prophecy. I, I, I have an incredible desire to tell everybody the truth, um, whether they want to hear it or not. And uh, I consciously ask people with the gift of mercy to be around me in my life. Now, you've got to be the right person with the gift of mercy because you have to understand I'm going to wound some people along the way. That's just going to happen. And if that bothers you, then you probably can't be the person next to me. What you have to do instead with the gift of mercy if you're next to me is say, Lynn is creating ministry opportunities for me. Uh, he's going to wound them, and then I'll go heal them. Okay? He'll say what I couldn't say, and then I'll go, oh, he didn't mean it. He didn't. He's not really that mean. He's not that bad. And I am, but it's nice that you said that about me. So, um, but the balance is the person with the gift of prophecy will say the thing that the person with the gift of mercy will never get around to saying. Okay? Uh, The person with the gift of prophecy will pull the person with the gift of mercy back from the cliff because they will help the lost cause of the world and they will help the person who is going to do that again and 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 never learn and pull them back. But the other side of the coin is the person with the gift of mercy will help the person with the gift of prophecy learn to temper and learn that there are moments when gentleness wins and that you can get a little further with sugar than you can with vinegar sometimes. Okay. So it's interesting how these, these actually complement each other. Okay. All right, real quick. Where are we at on time? Okay, so we're going to cruise here. All right, now, interesting thing is, let's go to one other passage. There's one other passage that talks about spiritual gifts. It's the book of Ephesians. So to your right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Okay, I'm going to breeze through this real quick, so hang on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, here's what it says. It was he, talking about Jesus, who gave some to be apostles. Are there apostles anymore? No, because to be an apostle, you had to what? 
see Christ, witness his resurrection, be called by Christ in person. So here's my first push to you. There are some offices and gifts that no longer exist. We just named two. Okay? All right. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be, and here's the new one, ready? Evangelists. Okay? All right, so here we go. Hands up. Yep. Um, Sorry. Going back to uh, apostles and you say that they don't exist anymore. Right. I've done several studies on spiritual gifts where they did acknowledge apostleship. Mm -hmm. And they, um, now you can, I mean, of course, give evidence why this can't be true, but they said that it was more like if you had um, a gift to almost create churches, like develop things like that. And I don't know why Mm -hmm. they would have interpreted that way. And you would say this, can you give me some evidence, please? Do you, do you want the mercy answer or the prophet just, answer? Just give me the prophet answer. The prophet answer? It. Okay, here's the prophet answer. <laughs> when you go to Scripture and when you look at every single person who was ever called a prophet, most of them didn't start churches. Paul did. Peter kind of took over the church in Jerusalem. Which other apostles do you have as church planters? So I'm going to argue that's a horrible definition of a prophet because it doesn't bear out accurately with what Scripture chronicles for us. Um, When uh, you get to Acts chapter... I want to say it's part of chapter 2. I'm not positive. When they're going back and they're they're saying, look, Judas, Judas is gone and now we need to appoint another to take his place. And they actually give you the list of the qualifications of what it means to be an apostle. It says it has to be someone who's with us from the beginning. It has to be someone who's a witness of the resurrection. And those were the requirements in order to be an apostle. And here's the interesting thing, is that from that day forward, once they appoint uh, Matthias to be the apostle, and then you have Paul saying, I am an apostle born out of season, you never, 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 never again have the early church ever name anybody else as an apostle. And now here we are 2,000 years later trying to resurrect an office that the church has not acknowledged for 2,000 years. I'm going to argue it's not good Bible. Okay? That's the prophet answer. The mercy answer, I think they're overstating and slightly confused. Okay. Uh, All right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, um, back to verse um, 11. Uh, Some are evangelists. What's the gift of evangelism? What does that mean? Huh? Huh? Telling the gospel to other people. Um, here's what the gift of evangelism is, though. Because here, isn't this the interesting thing? We're all supposed to evangelize, right? But this is the gift of evangelism. H- how many of you have ever run into a person who just everywhere they go somehow finds a way to talk about Jesus? Hey, what are you holding in your hand? Peanut butter? Peanut butter. Did you know that Jesus died for peanut butter? I <laughs> And next thing you know, they're down on their knees in the grocery store saying, Dear God, thank you for bringing me peanut butter today. And I, what? What? This is a person they get on the airplane and they're witnessing to the person next. I get on the airplane. I'm going, please don't let him talk to me, God. Please don't let him talk. But an evangelist, they're going, please, please put me in the middle of a whole bunch of people. And then they're sharing the gospel and the people in front of them are getting saved and behind them are getting saved and gift of evangelism. I had a dear friend, Lane Franks, uh, years and years, years ago. I'm t- the guy would walk in the gym. He would walk up to the biggest guy in the gym while he was bench pressing. He'd go, brother. 
If you drop that barbell on your neck right now, would you go to heaven or hell? If I walked up to that guy, he would have smacked me silly. Brother Lane walks up to the guy. He's going, I don't know. I've always been wondering about that. He goes, well, brother, you can kneel down right here at the bench press and ask Jesus in your heart. Bless you. Gift of evangelism. I, I, guys, I'm going to argue and you guys may get mad at me. I think uh, Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you that, and please don't get mad. When I listen to Billy Graham's sermons, I go, he was, he was kind of average. But when you look at Billy Graham results, thousands go walking forward, weeping. I need Jesus. I go, what? What? I think it was gift of evangelism. Just an unbelievable God-touched ability to share the gospel and have people's hearts listen and hear. Gift of evangelism. Say things the rest of us can't say and people hear the gospel. But people that get to evangelism burn to evangelize. And the truth is people that get to evangelism are mad at you and me for not having the gift of evangelism. They are. Because if you love Jesus, you would have the gift of evangelism. How many people in the room say, I think I might have the gift of evangelism? Okay, very good. Okay, we had a question. What's the difference between a missionary and an evangelist? 3,000 miles. No, you, sometimes I think some people who go to the missions field sometimes have the gift of service and they go over there and do a lot of support roles. I think sometimes they go over there and they maybe have a pastor's heart and so they find a congregation that's already there and maybe shepherd that congregation. Um, but a true evangelist, a true evangelist eats, sleeps, and drinks the idea of people knowing Jesus Christ. Okay? A pastor usually eats, sleeps, and drinks people growing up in Jesus difference but most most missionaries probably have some some form of the gift of evangelism especially frontline missionaries okay all right and last one i think no pastors evangelists okay so here's the thing i want to say real quick all right so i you this is going to be hard because i was going to write it up there but i ran out of battery so let me let me go through the two lists again you got to listen really 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 closely because i'm going to argue that there are two lists here okay you could say there's three I'm going to put the last two lists together. Um, See if you can... How would you categorize these two lists? Okay? You got a hand up. He's going to get me in trouble before I start. No, the the list in Corinthians, it states manifestations, which means the Spirit can work in any of us, any of those gifts Mm -hmm. at any time as the Spirit wills, where the other ones are more... Um, personalities, types that God has given us from birth probably to hmm. to serve in, in a specific way. All right, so let me ask you a question. Let me ask, uh, let me get through the list real quick, and I'm going to come back to that quick because I think it's a great question. All right, here we go. So here's the deal. Let me read the two lists, see if you can put them in categories. We Right now we called it manifestation, and what, were we gonna, what are you going to call the other list for me? Vocation. Vocation list. All right. So let me read them again, and then see if you can come up with it. All right. Here was the first list. Wisdom, in other words, insight I had no business having. Knowledge, information that I had no business having. Faith, just off the charts uh, faith. Healing, miraculous powers. uh, Prophecy, as in telling new information that had never been told before. Distinguishing spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. If you were going to make a title for that list, what, what, what would you put as a title on that? Huh? 
Manifestations. You're going to stick with him, huh? All right. Chicken. Superpowers. Superpowers. Okay, so let's... let's, All right, anyone else? They're very abstract. Abstract superpower manifestations. That's the title. Okay, so you've got the list of abstract superpower manifestations. Now let's go to the other list. Okay? Here's the other list. Prophecy, and I asked you to consider in this time, this is prophecy in the sense of forth-telling. In other words, taking the Word of God and telling it forth. Okay? Preach it, brother. Uh, Serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, mercy, pastors, evangelist. What would you use to categorize that list? Huh? Personality traits? Huh? Profession. I want to call that list, do something. Do something list. Do something or get out of the way list. Gift of prophecy. Thank you very much. (laughs) Gift of mercy would have said, sit there and feel better. Would it be evangelism? Well, I don't think all of them are evangelistic. I appreciate that. But, you know, gift of generosity, I'm not sure that it's always going to be evangelistic. Gift of mercy may or may not. Are you telling me it's time? Is that what you're doing? Oh, no, you're telling me someone. All right. Pastor Lynn, I think, uh, like, the first list, I think, is spiritually uh, given, driven uh, gifts. And the second list is once you're in Christ and growing uh, into adulthood in Christ, these are gifts that are... That you uh, that grow that you develop. Okay. Uh, okay. So here's I'm going to toss a few things out because we're so short in time. I wouldn't normally do this. I'm going to give you some answers without you working for them, but I'm going to ask you to contemplate them. Okay. I'm going to ask you to mull them over till the next time. All right. So here's I I love that we called the first list. What was it? Uh, superpower abstract manifestations. Because here's the thing, there is almost, I, I want to be careful as I say this, there's almost a miraculous quality to the first list, isn't there? Healing, gift of tongues, prophesying new things. And don't get me, me wrong, I believe the second list is miraculous. I do. But you get what I'm saying. There's, there's, there's almost a distinguishing quality to those. Does that make sense? Then I get to the second list. And we struggled with that a little bit. And we almost even sometimes said, that list sounds a little bit like our personalities. And I'm going to suggest to you guys, there's nothing any less miraculous about this second gift, the second list of gifts. But here's the thing I think is very, very interesting. I'm just going to ask you to ponder this a little bit. Do non-Christians have spiritual gifts? Isn't that interesting? Would a non-Christian have a spiritual gift? Because where do the spiritual gifts come from? The Spirit of God, Right. So is it possible for a non-Christian to have spiritual gifts? Huh? God still created them. Why would God create a person who does not know Jesus with a spiritual gift in their life? Okay, and that's what I want to suggest. You ready for this? Because I believe that God said there is always going to be a place in the body of Christ if you come to Christ. Okay? And so that spiritual gift is already an eight inside of you, ready for the body of Christ if you ever come to know Jesus. Now, here's what I'm going to suggest. That before the Holy Spirit touches it, it's little g. So in other words, do I know people who don't know Jesus who are merciful? Sure I do. 
You do too. You've met people who don't know Jesus who are merciful. But here's what you don't know. What would that gift of mercy look like if the Holy Spirit ever got a hold of it? And suddenly what is little g within their lives explodes under the power of the Spirit and becomes big G. Does that make sense? Someone may have the gift of generosity before they come to Jesus, but wait to see what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of generosity in their lives. Does that make sense? Okay. But here's the thing I think is intriguing. Do they have the gift because of their personality? Because I guarantee you, as we went through that list, you said, oh, I recognize personality types. That's, that's, a, that's a, if you do the whole otter, lion thing, you went, oh, that's a lion. Oh, that's an otter. Or if you do the whole disc, that's a D, or that's an I, or whatever the, you go, boy, those spiritual gifts. Or, can I toss this one out? Is it possible that your spiritual gifting is what formed your personality? Is it possible it's the other way around? That the very design of God in your life for spiritual gift, the spiritual gifts that God put in here are what made your personality what it is. And that's actually your personality is an expression of the spiritual gifts designed within you. And then as we test it, in some ways it's almost backwards and we go, oh, you know, you're a high D or you're an otter. That it's almost backwards because it's not that your personality is what made your gift. It's what your gift drove your personality. Isn't that interesting, maybe? Maybe? Okay, here's the last one I'm going to give you real quick just to think about, and then we'll come back and talk. The second list, too, I think is unique in this version. If you are ever going to be a spiritual, if you're ever going to be a spiritually mature Christian, here's what I'm going to suggest. You have got to be at least functional in every single one of the gifts in the second list. Not that you're going to have it. If you don't have the gift of generosity, you're never going to be as generous as someone who has the gift of generosity. And yet every Christian is commanded to be generous. If you, if you don't have the gift of evangelism, you will never be an evangelist like someone who has the gift of evangelism. But every single Christian is commanded to share their faith, right? Isn't that interesting? That every one of these gifts, and I believe they're, they're absolutely portioned out by God, and some of us are given them, what does Scripture say? In greater measure. But the reality is you cannot be a mature follower of Christ, I don't think, and not at least be functional in every, I can't just go, you know what, it'd be fun if I could, but I can't go, oh, dude, I don't have the gift of mercy. I'm not going to be kind to anybody. Are you kidding? It's not my spiritual gift. Wouldn't that be a great excuse? But aren't I called in Christ to be merciful? And aren't some of us that are more timid and more shy, aren't there moments scripture says you need to go speak the truth in love? You need to go say the hard thing to your friend, even though that may be the hardest thing for you. I'm going to suggest you cannot be a mature Christian unless you're at least functional in everything in the second list. Isn't this interesting? You can be a mature Christian and not be functional in anything in the first list. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to suggest these two lists are different, and these two lists are unique. And we'll come back and talk about that some more. Okay? How many people have I scared? All right. Most of you. You just didn't want to raise your hands. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. And we'll be done because we're out of time. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a chance to kind of dig in and mull over and 
push through some stuff. God, I'm just going to ask that you keep our hearts open, our minds willing to just explore and study Scripture. And God, uh, to come to understand uh, exactly what you're doing in the church, especially in this area of our giftedness and how to use that for your honor and for your glory. Thanks again so much for Easter and for what you just did in our midst and just the cool people that come here to, to Cornerstone, their graciousness and their generosity and their heart to reach around the world and their heart to reach their neighbors. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, thank you.